We are in the book of 2 Thessalonians, all right? Short book. Uh, we're kind of coming on the heels of a study through 1 Thessalonians. Last week we started, we went through chapter 1. Chapter 1 is basically Paul writes. It's written six, about six months after 1 Thessalonians. He's writing it to the people at Thessalonica. Paul's trying to encourage them. He writes 2 Thessalonians about six months later to clear up a couple of things and to encourage them because they're going through a tough time. And last week we talked about some of that. And we talked about the idea that a tested faith is a real faith. And Paul, because again, these people were going through a tough time and they were facing a lot of persecution. And Paul wants to write to them and say, look, that's part of it. As a believer, you're going to go through that. And Paul said, don't worry, God hasn't abandoned you. God is with you, but a tested faith is really going to be solid in in, in the world being able to see Christ in you. And we talked about that last week. Uh, This morning, Paul's going to continue on because part of the thinking in in the people at Thessalonica was this. Paul had talked about God coming back. And because the people were facing a lot of difficulty and persecution, they were wondering if they were in the middle of God coming back and God was judging them. And so Paul has to clear up some things for them about the end times, and we're going to talk about that this morning as we kind of walk through it. So um, hang on with me. Let me get through the whole passage, and then you'll see some things I think that apply to all of us this week. So here we go. Verse uh, verse 1, here's what he says. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in your mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Paul said, look, I want to tell you right off the bat, Jesus Christ did not come. You didn't miss it. Okay? So, relax. That's Because that's what these people thought. Because, see, they were in a very, very tumultuous time. Everything was an up, upheaval. They were being, they, some of them were being killed because they were Christians. Some were being thrown in jail. Some were having all their assets taken. Their world was turning completely upside down. And so they're sitting back going, man, maybe God's come back and we didn't know it. Now we're going to go through all this persecution because of that. And we missed it. And Paul writes to him. He goes, no, no, you didn't miss it. And notice what he says. He said, um, we, not to be shaken in your mind or troubled. You know, those of you who are old enough, 15 years ago, our, our country was rattled. And if you remember back, there were a lot of questions. As that whole September 11th thing started to unfold, um, there were a lot of questions about what was happening. You know, I mean, and, and you know, it's kind of one of those things. You know, I remember where it was when we landed on the moon. I remember when the shuttle blew up. I remember, you know, I remember 9-11. Now, you need to also remember this. The teenagers that are, that, that are here today, they, they do not know a world before 9-11. They have always known a country at war. Um, and, and, and that's sad. But, you know, those of us who remember it before, remember air travel before 9-11? I go back old enough to remember when you had to wait for the no smoking sign on a plane. You know, what were we thinking? You know? Put a whole bunch of people on a plane together and go, hey, if you want to smoke, go ahead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but again, I remember those days, okay? You're going, how old are you? Old enough. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But again, before 9-11, and remember how, much, remember how much turmoil we were in as a country, wondering what was happening? Multiply that times 10, and you have the world of the Thessalonican people. 
because everything in the world was upside down. And it wasn't something that happened in New York. It was something that was happening in their backyard. And so they're thinking, oh, no, God's come back. We've missed it. Now God's judging us, too. And Paul writes to him, and he goes, no, 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 let me help you out. And then he goes on. Notice what he says in the next verse. Uh, verse, uh, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless a falling away comes first. So he's talking about the end time. Um, there, there's a couple things in picture. There's like the specifics of the end times, and there's like the big picture end time. This is the big picture end times. He said, no, unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. You would know this if you've been a Bible, if you've been around church at all, and you've heard the term antichrist. That's who we're talking about here. He says, the Antichrist, or it's the, or the man of sin, the son of perdition. And notice what he says about him. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He said, look, when the end times come, he said, one of the things that's going to be a part of that is going to be the Antichrist. And you're going to know who he is. And he's going to be very evident about what he's all about. Because he thinks he's God. And he's going to function, and he's going to be in the realm of God. That's how he's going to act. And he said, he's got a place he's going to sit. He's got a thing that he's going to do. When the end times come, you'll know that. Okay? Because it's going to be very, very clear at that point. And then notice what he goes on to say. Um, he takes it a next, next step further, and here's what he says. Do you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Paul said, look, you guys are forgetting what I told you. Okay? And notice what he says. And now you know what is restraining that he may reveal in his own time. He said, look, right now there's something that's restraining that from happening. There's a lot of theory on what this is. Some people believe this is the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that this is the preaching of the gospel. And a lot of people like me believe this is the church. That as long as the church is here, and the church, I'm talking about all believers, as long as the church is here, the man of sin's not going to show himself. He's the one. The church is the one. The, the body of believers are the ones that's keeping this from happening. And he goes on to say this. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. In other words, He's being restrained right now, but there's coming a point at which he's going to have free reign. And then he goes on to say this, And then the lawlessness will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. He said, what's going to happen is, there's coming a time that God's going to step on the throne and, and, and deal with the Antichrist. He's going to be done. Okay? Now, for some of you, this is a lot. Some of you have church backgrounds, so you know all these terms that I'm going to throw out. Some of you, you, have, you don't have a lot of church background, and this is all new to you. So I'm going to let you like tune out for a few moments, and then we'll come back. Um, and for some of you, try to, try to follow it. Okay? There are a lot of theories about what happens in the end times. So let me give you where this church stands, where I stand, where we stand um, as leadership, and, and tell you what we think. The Bible teaches. Here's goes. The next event is what we would call the invisible coming of the Lord. Some people use the term rapture. 
when we dealt with First Thessalonians chapter 4, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him, that's known as the rapture, okay? And here's what that means. Jesus Christ comes back to take his children home. That's what it means. So God, I believe the next thing on the event, of, and nothing needs to happen for that to happen. It could happen this afternoon. Um, I think it would kind of be really cool if this week, while we're at the top of the peak, and we got a scissor lift going up there, we just, like, keep right on going. I think that would be awesome. You know, what a great way to go, you know? Um, we would get, like, a 12-foot head start on most of you. Um, <clears throat> so that would be awesome. But I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when that event comes. I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know how that's going to play out. But I know and I believe that the next event is God comes back for his children. There's a lot of reasons that I believe that. But I believe one, one of the best arguments, I think, for it is the idea of this. Often before God sends judgment, he pulls out the righteous people. Um, you see that with Noah. You see that with Lot. And um, you see that, uh, like I say, with the flood. You see that with the children of Israel. Before God starts really wiping out the Egyptians. And when God does start sending plagues upon the Egyptians... The first three, the children of Israel experience, the last seven, they do not. And what happens to the Egyptians did not happen to God's children. So I, I believe that when God judges, why would God judge his children? And take? I understand his children go through difficulty, but when it's judgment, that's different. And remember, we talked about the idea that 2 Thessalonians is a book about judgment. So I believe the next event is God comes back for his children. I believe the next event that happens is sometime after that, maybe not the next day, maybe not the next year, maybe not the next 10 years, but sometime after that, a time of tribulation occurs. I believe it's seven years long. The Bible talks about what happens in that time, and, and think of it as the plagues on the children of Egypt times 10. Um, a horrible time. A time when um, God decides to judge this world. And there are incredible things that happen, even to the point that people are wanting to die but can't. And the Bible is very explicit in how it describes this in the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and things like that. So I think there's a time of, uh, of that tribulation. It's during that time that the Antichrist rises up. So the Antichrist comes into the picture, and he tries to save all that. And so you have the, the revealing of him, and you have all of these other things that happen, and ultimately culminating... In a battle. Um, you know it as the Battle of Armageddon, the, at the Valley of Megiddo, and you have this great big thing where, where they come against, and, and you have all of this stuff that happens. God comes back. And this time, when Jesus Christ comes back, he comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he comes back to say, okay, now we're going to do it differently. There's no Prince of Peace. Um, the, the revelation is very explicit in how he comes back. And he comes back and he says, okay, now we're going to do it this way. And for a thousand years, God runs this earth the way he intended this earth to run. We call that the millennium. He spends a thousand years, and at that time, Satan is bound. So Satan doesn't get his way on this earth anymore. It is a time when God rules the world like God wants the world to rule. And then culminating with Satan being loosed for a very short period of time. In that short amount of time, Satan is able to change and turn the nations against God. God, for once for all, says, 
it's done. And it culminates in the battle, and you have basically a new heaven and a new earth being created. And God then spending all eternity with God or apart from God, depending on what you did with Jesus Christ. So that's what we see. So when we talk about the end times, that's what we're talking about. The, children, the, the people in Thessalonica thought they were in the middle of it. And Paul writes, it goes, no, 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 no. There's a bunch of things that are going to happen before. And then notice what he goes on to say. And that's where he talks about the breath of his mouth will destroy. The coming of the lawlessness is according to the working of Satan. So when he talks about this idea that the Antichrist is going to show up, here's what he says. He will show up with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion. They should believe the lie. And they and all that may be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think this time is talking about the time of of the tribulation where, as crazy as it sounds, they still reject God. In spite of all they're going through, they follow Satan or the Antichrist instead of the real Christ. There are some we know during the tribulation time that turn to Christ. Um, But the majority believe the lie. So with that in mind, that's what Paul writes to these people about to try to encourage them. Now you go, okay, I'm going to work tomorrow. So how does any of this affect me? Okay. Um, so a couple of, couple of things that I think to think about here. First of all, one of the things that Paul talks about here is he talks about the idea that there is something that is restraining evil in the world right now. Literally, the passage here says that when they are taken out of the midst, I believe it's the church. I believe that the church has a responsibility to be the voice of truth in a world in which people are following Satan's lies. Now, that seems like a very simple principle, but you need to understand we're in a culture where that is not happening. We're in a culture where the church is starting to look at the world and saying, what, you don't like our message? How can we accommodate you? How can we change our world to make you feel more comfortable? And that's a problem. Because you see, when we stop standing up for truth, when we start standing up, when we stop standing up for what the Word of God teaches, and we start trying to adjust our message to them, then we don't have anything to offer them. And that's an important truth. We have a responsibility to be a voice of truth in a world which wants to say truth is whatever you want it to be. And that's a big problem. And and, and what bothers me is I see Christians being intimidated by that. I mean, here's the craziness of it. We allow people to look at us and say, you can't say that because that's judgmental. Stop. Time out. What did they just do? They just judged you for being judgmental. Does that make sense? And yet we look at it and go, oh, okay, I'll back off. How crazy is that in this world? You know, and and listen, it's becoming absurd. You're watching it play out right now. This NFL thing hits my button. 
you got every right to not stand for the Pledge of, uh, Pledge of Allegiance, the National Anthem, whatever. You do not have to stand. I do not have a problem with that at all. You have a right as an American to do that. But then, for an NFL owner or an NFL coach to go, I don't have the right to tell you you're going to sit for the rest of the game? That's insane. That's insane. I have no problem looking at you going, you know what? you got every right to kneel, and i got every right to never let you step foot on that field as a player. I mean, that's crazy. But we're in a world where it goes, oh, no, 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 we've got to let him have his rights, and we can't impose upon his right to kneel. Come on. How crazy is that in a world? We even got a, situ- a situation this week. There was a military member who sat down during the, 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 the Star Spangled Banner. A military member. And they said... I am protesting as well. You need to understand, those of you who are in the military get this, you are not under the American laws. You are under the Uniform Military Code of Justice. And if they grant this person, which I think they should, a dishonorable discharge because it is specified in there that you have to do this. If they grant them a dishonorable discharge, what they need to understand, they'll never own a gun, they'll never vote, they'll never boop, 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 boop. Their life is forever changed. Now let's see how much you really believe that. You've sworn to represent that. I mean, that's how crazy our world is. And here's the thing. As Christians, we're afraid to stand up and say something. we got churches who are going, oh, you know what? We can't, like, offend the whole, like, LGBT community kind of thing. Let me tell you something. Here's the way it goes. This book says it. That's the way it is. It's truth. Like it or not, it's truth. And we're in a world which we're afraid to stand up and go, I'm sorry, that's wrong. If we don't say something, then sin goes rampant. You go, well, they're not going to listen to us. At least it's a voice. At least it's a voice saying this is wrong. And here's the crazy thing. We're in a, but we're in a world which says you can believe whatever you want to believe and I can believe whatever I want to believe and we can both be right. I don't think so. You know, if I go out here and decide that that beam ought to be bolted a certain way and you decide it ought to be bolted a certain way, look, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And if I decide that the plans say this, but we should go do this, listen, You've got to decide what you're going to do. And, and we're in a culture in which we're just afraid to speak up for truth. We're in a culture which says there are many ways to God. You know what? Not what Jesus said. You said there's one way, I'm it. Any other way, you're not getting there. Period. End of discussion. So somebody comes to me, well, you know, they're a really nice person. I think that maybe they can go to, no, 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 no. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, period. No other way, period. You go, boy, that just sounds like that's so black and white. Yes. Well, aren't you going to comment? No. Aren't you going to say, what about? No. Why? Because truth is truth. And we're in a world where for some reason, as believers, we're afraid to say something. I'm not saying you'd be obnoxious about it, but I'm saying when you have the opportunity, when you have the, 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 the 
opportunity to speak truth. When somebody asks you, don't back away. Don't all of a sudden pander to it. Let me read you a couple quotes that I think are really good. Jesus came to wreck our lives so that he could join us to his. We cannot build Christian churches on a sub-Christian gospel. People who don't want Christianity don't want almost Christianity. And we as churches have said, in order to reach them, we're going to water it down. We're going to make it more appealing. We're going to soft pedal it. And what he's saying is, you know what? If they don't want real Christianity, they don't want pseudo-Christianity either. And we need to understand that. Don't make an apology for what the Bible says. He also said this. The guy, Russell Moore, here's what he said. A church, is a, lose, a church that loses its distinctiveness is a church that has nothing distinctive with which to engage the culture. A worldly church is of no good to the world. Let me say it this way. A worldly Christian is of no good to the world. Why? We're not different. What are we offering? If we're going to try to be like them, what are we offering them that's different? That's what he's saying. And Paul is writing these people, and he goes, look, you need to understand, you're the restraining influence right now. As long as you're here, <coughs> Satan is in check, because every time he tries to do something, there's a good side of it that's saying that's not right. And when we give up that obligation, when we give up that responsibility, then, then sin runs rampant. And it's time that we as believers step back and say, you know what? One of our goals, one of our responsibilities is to stand up for truth. Look, you be honest, you be honest with me. Many of you have been here long enough to know there are things that I say that you don't like. Okay? But you know me enough to know this. I'm not apologizing either. If this is what the book says, then you deal with it because it's not my problem. If I'm offensive because of, the, of something that I say, that's a different ballgame. But if it's offensive to you because I said this is what God says, then that's your problem with God, not your problem with me. And many of you have gone, I don't know how in the world you say that. I don't either. All I know is I'm going to stand before God accountable for what I say up here. And I'm not going to soft pedal it. Because you know what? I follow a Jesus who never soft pedaled it. He looked at a whole group of people and said, let me, let, me, let me make this really clear. You want to get to God? I'm the only way. He went to a group of people and said, you want to follow me? I'll tell you what. If you're not ready to die, if you're not ready to walk away from your family, your stuff, all of your things, everything else, go follow somebody else. I'm not your guy. He never made it easy. He made it incredibly bold. He made it incredibly difficult. And he made it clear as could be. There was no fudge room. And we need, to be, we need to do the same when we're dealing with the gospel and when we're dealing with Jesus Christ. We have that responsibility because, listen, if we don't do that, then sin's going to run rampant. You think it's bad now? You haven't even scratched the surface to how bad it can get. Second idea is this. Stop being naive. And by that, here's what I mean. He tells us very clearly that Satan's behind this whole thing. He tells us very clearly what Satan's doing. 
The Bible is very, very clear. You want to know what Satan has planned for your life? Here it is. Steal, kill, destroy. There's not one good thing Satan wants out of your life. Not one. Everything that he paints as a rosy picture, you better go see what the Bible says because what the Bible says is accurate. What Satan says is a lie. Christ said he's the li- he's, 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 Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. This is what he's good at. He's good at deceiving you. And we're in a world where we forget that. And we've become so naive as to think that either Satan's not involved or it's not as bad as we think or Satan's painted some rosy picture that, that's not true. So we have people pursuing all kinds of things in hopes that that'll bring satisfaction. And it doesn't. And those of you who've been down those roads know exactly what I'm talking about. We're in a world in which we have forgotten that. And make no mistake about it. Satan, and and, and that's exactly what's happening in our culture right now. There are things that are black and white wrong, and we have given them acceptable names. Jesus called it adultery. We call it living together. You know, we, we have all these names for it that make it sound better, and it's not. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was very, very clear about this stuff. And for some reason, we get all bent out of shape on it, and, and we lose this perspective, the idea that we become so naive as to not understand what's happening. Have you ever thought about this for a minute? Why is it so hard to go to church? You and your spouse can go the entire week and never have an argument. But I can guarantee you, you know what the one day you will argue with? Sunday morning before church. You want to know why sometimes you struggle with, oh, I'm so tired, I don't know, I want to go, but I really don't want to. You want to know why that's about, when was the last time you went to a, a, a game, some kind of game that you wanted to go to to go see your favorite team play? And you got up and go, you know, I just kind of don't want to go, and I guess I should go, and maybe I do. No, there's no battle for that. Why? That's not spiritual. But you need to understand, the fact that you walked in the door this morning tells me you've won one spiritual battle this day already. Because I guarantee you Satan did everything he could to keep you from being here today. That was his job. And Satan went, you know what? You know, oh, you're tired. You've been running all week long. You know, uh, hey, you can listen to it like online. You know, you know there's a hundred reasons to not come. You know what the battle is after you get here? That doesn't apply to you. So that's the battle we're going to fight this morning. That's the battle we're all fighting this morning is, you know, does that really apply to me? Well, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. No, I don't really don't need to do anything about that. You know, I really hope my spouse is listening. Um, I mean, you know, that's what we go through, right? That's what we go through. Because here's why. It's a spiritual battleground this morning. You know why you fight with your spouse? Because they won't listen to you. No. You know why you fight with your spouse? Because Satan knows this. If I can wreck your family, I can impact so many people. 
I don't have to do anything big. I just have to get you guys to kind of, kind of go, your, go your separate ways. Like you do your world and you do your world and it'll separate you out and then eventually you'll end up getting divorced and that'll affect everybody and you guys and your kids and your grandparents and your friends because they'll have to decide the blah, 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 blah. So you know what? So every day that you're married, you need to understand it is a spiritual battleground. And Satan will pick, 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 pick at your marriage. I always, tell, I always tell couples right off the bat, you need to understand, you are not on a romantic balcony. You are on a spiritual battlefield. Because the last thing Satan wants is for you to have a decent, strong marriage. And he will do everything in his power to keep that from happening. It's a spiritual thing. Stop being naive about some of this stuff. Most of the stuff you're struggling with right now, it's not that person. It's a spiritual issue. You don't want to forgive. They've hurt you. Blah, 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 blah. I got it. Been there. Done that. Played that road. Been down that game. Uh, been down that road. Played that game. Done all of that. Get it. I understand. You've got a right to be mad. You've got a right to be angry. Great. Let me tell you what I've learned from the Bible. You think it's about them. It's not. It's about you. You don't want to forgive them. Because you're afraid that they will, it will free them. But here's what you'll find. When you forgive them, it frees you. Forgiveness is not about me letting the other person go, although I do that. It's about letting me go to move on forward. Because as long as you won't forgive, Hebrews chapter 12, as long as you won't forgive, that bitterness will destroy you, and it will impact every life you touch. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to challenge you, because some of you think you have become naive about some of this stuff. And Satan has, has deluded you to think that for whatever thing, well, you know, they hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them. No, you're not. You're gonna, you might hurt them, but you're going to hurt yourself far worse than you'll ever hurt. Learn from Disney. Let it go. <laughs> now, some of you are going to have that song in your head the rest of the day. Ha! Good. Just apply it. Let it go. Let it go. It's destroying you. That's the, that's the lie you've chosen to believe. And I, I want to challenge you because I think sometimes we forget to talk to people who are lay leaders. And you know what? Here's what they'll tell you. The worst two weeks of my, week, my month or my year, whatever it is, when I was lay leader, because Satan just picked away at me the whole week. I've actually had people come to me and go, please don't put me on the list, because it's a spiritual battlefield. Welcome to my world. You know, welcome to my world. Why? Because that's exactly what, and if you don't think Satan is picking away all the time, that's, by the way, that's why you pray for me. Time out. Pray for my wife, who has to put up with me. You know, that's why, because it's a spiritual battlefield, because Satan knows, Satan knows. And we've got to be honest and stop being delusional about some of this stuff and really sit down and say, okay, what's the Bible saying? That's what I need to go do. And the last thing is this. Embrace truth. Embrace truth. The reason we read this book, the reason we walk into this place each, each week, is because we want to learn more about what the book says. Because we want to do what the book says. 
because God wrote the book and God knows how we should function best. And there's some of you that you probably come in here today and your, your idea is this. It's like, you know what? The God thing might be fine for you. I don't need the God thing. My life's okay. da 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 da, da. Let's just play a game for a second. Let me give you that. Let me give you the idea that your truth and my truth are equal. Okay? Let's just go down that road for a few moments. Here's my world. My world is I try to embrace this book, and I try to embrace the teachings of Jesus Christ. So what that means is that I've embraced the idea that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, so I put my faith and trust in Christ. I've embraced the idea that this book knows how to best live my life. So when I want to know how to do my finances, I go to what the Bible says. When I know how, want to know how to ra- be, be married, I go to what the book says. When I want, we're raising my kids, I go to what the, I'm learning to be a grandparent now. I go see what the Bible says about being a grandparent. When I'm working for somebody, I go to see what kind of employee I should be. When I have people working for me, I go to see what kind of employer I should be. I go to what the book says. I had friends who chose a different path. When I look at their world and I look at my world, my world's so much better. Because I was spared so many things that they've had to go through. Why? Because I think the book's right. So I've embraced that. So let's say you're right. There's nothing after this world. This, this life is it. And I live my life here, and at the end of my life, I go, it's been a good life. I got no regrets, but I've had a great time. You've lived your life without God. You've gone through your whole thing, and you, you end your life, and you've had a great life doing whatever you want, but you've, got, you've paid some prices for it, and there's some things you could have done better, and blah, 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 blah. And you come to the end of your life, and there's nothing. We both won. But let's flip it for a minute. Let's say my choice is right. That there is an eternity past this world. And that in that eternity, what's determined on who goes towards live for God and who lives apart from God, is determined by what you've done with Jesus Christ, who said, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one gets to the Father but by me. I win. I spend eternity with Christ. The way I see it, I win both ways. However, you're going to stand before a holy, almighty God, and you're going to look at him and go, hey, you know what? I missed that. Can you give me another shot? You're a loving God. I don't, didn't follow you or anything, but people told me that. Jesus tells the story about an event like this. You know what he says? To the, you know what he says God's answer to those people is? Depart from me. I don't even know your name. You lose. And you lose for all of eternity. Because this isn't about simply 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this planet. This is about forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You need to know what's true. Don't take my word for it. Don't even take, look, don't even take the Bible's word. You just go on a search for truth. You just go on a search for simply truth, and here's what you'll find. Sooner or later, you'll come to Jesus Christ. Sooner or later, you're going to have to wrestle with him, because here's the thing. He said, he made a lot of claims that are either true or false. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the only way to God. He claimed to be the only way to God. So either 
You embrace what he taught or you reject it. You go, well, he was just like a good guy and like we should just follow. No, 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 no. If he is, if what he said is not true, he's a liar. So don't follow anything that he taught. I mean, really, if that's where you're going to go. But when he said, I'm the only way, he's the only way. And I want to challenge you because one of the things that you see is these people start, end up believing a lie. Why? Because they don't know the truth. Many of you know I deal with stained glass. I've done stained glass for over 35 years. A lot of glass has gone through these hands. I've been cut by a lot of glass. A lot of Band-Aids and I have spent time together. Okay? I'm probably the only place that, you know, there are Band-Aids all over the shop. Okay? And there's a reason for that, because glass is sharp. I work with a lot of glass over here. What's happened is in the glass industry, because of a lot of political things and a lot of F, or, um, EPA things and all that kind of things, the glass industry is going turned upside down right now. So glass is getting very hard to get. Stained glass is getting very hard to get. And so what's happened is, like most other industries, foreign companies have been bringing in glass. There's a great big difference between foreign glass and American glass or European glass. Here's the thing. You can put 10 pieces of glass down in front of me. Tell me that two of them are, most of us coming from China. Two of them are from China. Josh has been working with it for about 10 years. Both of us, I bet you, with an incredible accuracy, could pull out both pieces. You know why? Because we have so much experience with what's real. What's fake stands out like a sore thumb. What's inferior stands out like a sore thumb. When you totally embrace this book, when you saturate your life with it, when you really come to understand what it says and knows, let me tell you something. When falsehood comes along, It'll stand out like nobody's business. Why? Because you know the truth. Why does cheap glass stand out to me? Because I've worked at the real stuff so long. It's not spectacular. It's just the idea of, oh, that was made in China. Don't want to use that. Why? Because it's inferior. The same thing is true with truth. Be a person of, of truth. So when you watch something on TV or you see something, you can be able to go, that's wrong. That's wrong. And for those of you who may never have embraced Christ, I want to challenge you to search out what's really true. Because your eternal destiny depends on it. There are some things in life you can be wrong on and still be okay. This is not one of them. This has an eternal element to it. And you better make sure you're right. You better make sure you don't miss this one. So I want to encourage you, as and all of us, to be a voice of truth, to know truth, to not be deceived, not be naive. Because Satan is alive and well. He is real. He wants to ruin your life. And he makes no bones about trying to do it. Don't let him do it. So my prayer goes like this. Paul reminds us that Satan is at work. Our job as a church and a Christian is to be a standing influence in our world. It's to stand and embrace the truth that Jesus shared and to not be ashamed of it. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's so easy sometimes to soft pedal. It's so easy to be quiet when we need to be a voice. Sometimes, Lord, we become an obnoxious voice. We don't want to go down that road either. 
But Lord, may we be able to be people who speak the truth in love. May people know we care, but may they also know, Lord, that we will not back away from that which is right. And Lord, help us. Help us to not do it just with our words, but to do it in the way we live every single day. May the world see us, not as people who are better than them, but people who have been redeemed by you and who live differently because of you. May they see Christ in us, and we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen.